message series called Victory over the last several weeks, looking at what it not only means for us, what it looks like for God's people, but what victory entails God's people. Like, how does that impact not only daily life decisions, but how does it impact God's people um, from day to day, right, down the road? How do we start to, to reassess or redefine victory in the name of Jesus Christ? And so this morning, I want to pay attention to that, and I want to begin by going to the crossroad to which we have talked about before. The cross is our crossroad. Jesus talks about if you want to be his disciple, that you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and then you can follow him. That this crossroad is something that we have to, that we find ourselves at the intersection of every single day. And, and quite frankly, every waking moment, we have opportunity at the crossroad to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow him. The crossroad is a different kind of road. It's a road that leads us down a different kind of path. It's a road that takes us into different directions, right? Um, several days ago, I was taking the kids to school uh, one morning, and I, th- I think it was Lucy. She asked, you know, how does a compass work? How, do- how does a compass actually work? And so we tried to talk through that, how a compass has has a special cord, an iron cord, and it, it, it's kind of, it, it's attracted to the magnetic field of the earth, and so that little pointer based on the magnetic field is always kind of pointing, pointing you north. Well, some of the follow-up questions, I won't tell you uh, which of my kids were asking these questions, but some of the follow-up questions were, well, how does that get you east if it's always pointing north, <laughs> right? Well, and, and I had another one say, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, Right, and and then I I may have had um, uh, and I'll just go ahead and say Scout even said she goes well you just look at that little those lines that she pointed to the map the GPS in the car, right you just you just look at those lines, right you don't need that. A compass like a GPS like a map has a particular purpose. It's to help guide and direct, right. Right? And sometimes we do, we wrestle with the question, well, how does that even work? What does this even mean? How does this even point us into the right direction when it seems like that the direction we're going may not be the direction we want or desire, but it continues to point north into a path to which we look at and we say, well, that's not the path I would have chosen. The crossroad is that kind of path. The crossroad is the path that may guide us down a direction into, a, into an area that we may never choose for ourselves. It may take us down a path to which we would have avoided at all costs. Yet, in the name of Jesus Christ and by the grace of God himself, we find ourselves at the crossroad having to make a decision. Will we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him? The crossroad is a place where we must decide, must decide who we are going to follow and which path we will take. A map, a compass, a GPS, they all serve a particular straightforward function, right? To get you from point A to point B. And one of the more difficult things that we have with the call of Jesus Christ is that he calls us to not only deny self, take up our cross, but to simply follow him. 
to go to where we may not know where the ending may be, but we have a really good idea. We understand that Jesus is taking us at the crossroad from point A. Wherever it is, we may find him, experience him, know him. Wherever we meet him on that road to Damascus, he's taking us from that point to point B. Eternal life. Everlasting life. Life in his glory and his presence from here on out. He is moving us into that direction. And we have to wrestle with at the crossroad, what does that mean and look like to deny self? To take up that cross and then go where he goes. And I think one of the things that we have to wrestle with, and I want to confront head on this morning, is this idea that the crossroad is going to lead to a certain place, to a certain end. The end may look different, but it certainly will end. At the cross, and at the crossroad, we must acknowledge our death. Death is a part of every person. It's a part of every story. We can't hide from it, and we shouldn't just shoo it away. It is the reality and the eventual reality of every person throughout all time. Death cannot be an escape. It's there. And too often, I think, too often we find ourselves trying to ignore death, hide from it, push it aside, just pretend it won't happen, live life uh, more of a if rather than a when death will occur. But Scripture Scripture is filled with death because death cannot be escaped. escaped. There's no greater time to acknowledge death than at the crossroad. Because the compass will always point to the end. The compass will always point us and march us towards the end that is the tomb to which we all will find. Um, several years ago in another place, um, I, was asked to, I was asked to officiate, preach a funeral for someone I didn't know. But I knew, I knew the person's, uh, one of their sons. And so not a lot of church connections uh, outside of that. So I, I was going to preach a funeral for someone I didn't know. Um, just like I would with any family, I spend a lot of time with the family, get to know the person that, that, that we are um, going to remember and celebrate uh, at, at a funeral, and, um, and, and spend all that time with the family. And then the morning of the funeral, before uh, service begins, I'm back with the family, saying hello to everybody, make sure everybody's good to go. And I notice that the person I know uh, the couple that I know, um, their son's not there. This is his grandpa's funeral. And so I asked, just kind of not even thinking that this would be the answer, I said, oh, when is, uh, you know, when's so-and-so going to get here? I don't want to start without him. And they look at me and said, oh, he doesn't know. And we're not going to tell him. Please don't say anything. And I thought, oh, no, what do I do? Why, why, like, this is like one of those moments where you're like, oh, okay, um, well, I'm not going to say anything in this moment. We're going to go on with this. But in my head and, and the moment of is that we have a 
avoided the conversation of death, even though it is a reality, even though it's going to happen. We may not like it, and it may make some of you uncomfortable that I'm saying the word death this many times, but it's going to happen. And we can't come to the end, come to the funeral and say, well, we're not really at a funeral, right? What's the new, what's the new fad right now? We don't call them funerals, we call them celebrations of life, right? It's a funeral. Funerals are the end. It's when we do celebrate life, but we also acknowledge the presence and the impact that some path has had or hasn't had. It's when people come together and to remember, but to also proclaim and tell stories. To come together in that person's in life to celebrate, but also to remember and to proclaim. Not to avoid, not to forget, not to just say, well, you know, something happened, let's move on. We head it on because you know what? There's nothing more spiritual. There's nothing more Jesus than death. death. Jesus dies. And he dies for you. He goes to the cross willingly. And he dies there so that grace may be had by all. He doesn't hide from it. He doesn't run from it. He doesn't call it a celebration of life. He calls it a crucifixion and a death and a burial because he acknowledges what is reality. Death is the end. It happens to us all. And we must also acknowledge that in this moment of death, that we acknowledge the end, we must also acknowledge that death does not have the final word. Death Death isn't the end. We acknowledge that death is not the final act. And this is the beautiful thing about acknowledging and understanding not only my death and your death and Jesus' death on the cross, but that we are resurrected people through Jesus Christ. We live resurrection life because of death. We cannot, we cannot just throw away the tomb just, or get, throw away the cross to get to the tomb. They go hand in hand together. They're peanut butter and jelly, right? To get to the empty tomb, we must acknowledge that there was an end. There is a crucifixion. There is death. Now let's, take it, let's think about this from, from this angle for just a moment. Uh, many of you have been baptized. We believe baptism is not only confession, it is an act. It is an act of oneself saying, I confess the name of Jesus Christ, I believe in the power of Jesus Christ, and he is my Lord and Savior, but it is an act of death. And what do we do in the waters of baptism? We die. We're buried in the, under the water and we die to the ways of this world, to the, to the controls of this place. We die to the, to the, to the path to which this world would, would have us on. And we are what? Raised anew. Life comes from death. And in fact, if you think about it, think, and if you want, and I would challenge you to do this, start going through your scriptures. And God does his best work in death. When it seems like it's over... When it seems like that the finale, the, the finale is there, right? It's the last episode. Nothing can be done. God does his best work. 
We acknowledge not only our death, but we acknowledge that it is not the final act. God does God his best work there. I heard this once. That one, to me, death was explained this way as a transition. And that if you are on this side of death, right? If you're in the pew of the funeral rather than the casket of the funeral, that you are transitioning to life without that person. That you're trying to understand and figure out what it looks like to not have that person in your life anymore. This is grief, right? To, to a simplified version, this is grief. This is why it's also complicated grief. But grief is also a way for us to try to wrestle with, grapple with. What does it mean to not have that person? We acknowledge death. We don't like death. The reality of death is there. But God's people on the crossroad have a vastly different way of viewing death. And the fact is, God's people ought to not see death as the final act. It ought to see it as the precursor to the greatest act there is to come. Life everlasting in the presence of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So we transition in our grief. Right? We grieve and we're upset. And the emotions that are among us, that may be in us at any funeral or celebration of life are real and they are worthy of our attention. But death, death isn't the final act. It creates transition, but it's not over. And I think that's a huge aspect to all of this that we must pay attention to. We gather weekly to remember death. But we also gather to acknowledge life. And that's why I want to take us into the Lord's table this morning. We're going to turn over to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. But at the table, at Jesus' invitation, we come here to remember and to proclaim, but we also come to the table to acknowledge. I think in a lot of ways, at Jesus' invitation, the table, the table, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, communion, fill in the blank, what word do you want to use? It is the compass of God's people. It's a centering piece. This is why I think, if you were, if you were to ask me, because not every tradition will do communion every week, but why every week? Because it's an anchor, it's a compass, it is a centering piece. It is an incredibly important aspect of not just community and church, but of God's individuals. To be wrapped in and, and posted to and to take the compass of the Lord's table and to know where you're pointed. Because on the crossroad, it's very easy to get off, isn't it? That first step's pretty hard, too. Deny yourself when we think, oh, there's got to be a better way, right? There's got to be a different way here. The table serves as that compass. It centers us. It points us. It reminds us. At the Lord's table, we are reminded of Jesus last night before he is to be betrayed and arrested. He spends time with his disciples, his closest, in a Passover feast. He spends time with his disciples at the table. He acknowledges that one of them will betray them. 
that the world has infiltrated their group. The path of the world is among them. But Jesus nonetheless in his Passover feast at the table with his disciples, Matthew chapter 26, picking up in verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now, from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The Lord's Supper anchors us. It's the compass, it is the centerpiece, but it anchors us to our deaths and to life. We do this every week. We have opportunity to remember and to proclaim, but we also have opportunity to acknowledge that we will end, but Jesus will raise us up. That he is ended, but he was lifted up. The emblems that we take every week, the bread and the juice, they serve as tools of proclamation. They also serve as ways of reminders. When we take the bread and we drink of the vine, we not only remember what Jesus has done for us, we proclaim the good news that Jesus is alive this very day, but we also acknowledge that in his death, we will have one as well. And in his life, we will share an everlasting joy with him as well. We gather weekly at this anchoring place because we are so tempted to turn back, are we not? Now, let's think about this context for just a second of Jesus and his disciples in Matthew chapter 26. I'm going, to turn, I'm going to turn back for just a moment in Exodus chapter 12, the, the, the genesis, if you will, of, of Jesus' last supper meal, the Passover meal. Jesus, um, who knows what is to come, is in the Passover festival. He's at the Passover meal. And with his disciples, he not only celebrates what is Passover, he's also beginning to celebrate and to anchor his disciples in something that is to come. So this Passover idea, um, if you'll go all the way back to Exodus chapter 12, uh, God's people, the Israelites, are enslaved to the Egyptians. Exodus chapter 12, we have the 10th plague, and it's coming, it's going to come quick. And God tells Moses... He gives him the instructions of what he wants uh, of his people who are enslaved in Egypt. That this tenth and final plague will be the plague of plagues. And the beginning of, uh, of, of deliverance will, be, will happen here in Exodus chapter 12. And a lot of Jewish people even to this day will look at Exodus chapter 12, this tenth plague, as the beginning of their nation, of their people. 
that here's where God really begins the deliverance because the movement, like physical movement of God's people from the land of Egypt to the desert begins in Exodus chapter 12. And in Exodus chapter 12, God tells Moses, let the people know the 10th plague is coming and all the firstborns of Egypt will be, will be killed. Child and animals alike, they will be, they will be struck down. However, to save the firstborns of Israel, God instructs the Israelites to have a sacrifice and take the blood of their sacrifice and to take that blood of the sacrifice and put it on, uh, on the doorframe above the door of their home. So when the angels come through, uh, they will know the blood and that they, they were God's people and they will pass over okay, the houses of the Israelites, the first Passover. Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. On the same night, this is the words of God to Moses, on the same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you of the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Now, this is a pretty daunting passage of Scripture, and it's a pretty tough chapter of Scripture when you start thinking about what God is saying he's going to do. But what is God saying he's going to do? He is going to confront death head on. Death will occur because that is what happens in life, and death is there. But what is he going to do now? Confront it. And God chooses to confront death this way, by being present over those who believe and follow in him. That death is a part of the story of God's deliverance. You can't avoid it. If you're a Jewish person or a Christian, you can't avoid it. Death is a part of the story of deliverance. It is there in your face confronting you about this this really difficult scene that is taking place in Exodus chapter 12 when God says, I will come through and strike down the firstborns of Egypt. Death is confronted and acknowledged, but God has a plan to overcome death through sacrifice and praise, through connection and relationship. God will pass over those who believe and acknowledge his presence. Life will still go on even in death. So much so that God understands that this Passover, this moment in Exodus chapter 12, must be remembered. That God's people don't, don't need to simply know it happened. They must celebrate, proclaim that it happened. Remembering and proclamation go hand in hand. But it also comes that God wants his people to acknowledge their death and their life. So, as God's giving these instructions to Moses, Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 and 13, look at verse 14 for a moment. God also gives, this is before the 10th plague. God says this, he gives the instructions of what is going to happen and how he can save his people, how life can occur in the middle of death, and what does he say? Before it all happens, this is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. 
Jump down to verse 17. Again, God says, celebrate the festival of the unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. What is God saying? God is saying, the Passover is going to happen. The striking down, we must confront death, but life will come out. But more than that, we must remember and proclaim and acknowledge this day. And the Jewish people, to this very day, remember, proclaim, and acknowledge the Passover feast. Just as Jesus was doing with his disciples in Matthew chapter 26. Which is quite fitting. Because victory is anchored at this table. Someone once said, I know I messed up, Melissa, but someone once said that the deliverance which Passover commemorated was a type of great salvation it foretold. That the Passover meal for Jewish people and for Jesus was a way of acknowledging and remembering that God has moved in the midst of death. And salvation was to come nonetheless. When it seemed impossible, God was to act. And that's where victory is found at this table. Because Jesus is acknowledging death is to come. But guess what? It's not the final word. It's not the final act. God will move in miraculous ways. When it seems impossible, God does his best work. And victory is found at this table. We are anchored to victory at the Lord's table. Through the cross and then the tomb, victory is anchored at this table. We celebrate not only the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we celebrate victory that comes through Jesus Christ. We are God's people. And more than that, we're not left to our own devices to try to figure things out. We have a God who's intimately involved with us, a God who's intimately amongst us, a spirit that moves around, a God who is here amongst us. And at the table, we're reminded that God is moving even this very day, that he moved that long ago at the table with his disciples, and he moves today at the table to his disciples. Because victory, victory, comes even in the face of death. That's why Paul can say this. I love this passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is a wonderful chapter, by the way. I don't have time for. And you're, 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 being thank, you're probably thankful I said that. So, but let me pick up in verse 54. Paul quotes Isaiah and then he quotes Hosea, but his point is made. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the midst, in the middle, and confronting death, life occurs. It makes no sense. It has no logic on the path of the world, but on the crossroad, on the path of Jesus, it's everything. There is no sting and there is no finality. There is only life in Jesus Christ.
And so now we come to the table. Just as Jesus with his disciples did those many years ago, we come to the table. Okay, let's acknowledge we don't have a big table, right? But nonetheless, we come together as a body, as a church with friends and guests. We come together in his name. And we take our little prepackaged communion because it helps us when we tear it open to remember, to proclaim, and to acknowledge. And like Jesus did long ago with his disciples, we take the bread, we give thanks, and we remember, proclaim, and acknowledge death and life through Jesus Christ. So, as we come together in this place, let's pause and bow, and let's say a word of prayer for the bread. We'll have a song before we have a word of prayer for the cup this morning. But let's be at the table together, remembering, proclaiming, and acknowledging. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the victory that we could never achieve. We acknowledge and we remember. Father, we proclaim in this moment good news of Jesus Christ. His willingness, his love for each and every one of us to go to the cross willingly. To be the sacrificial lamb on our behalf. To die for me, for us. For all humankind throughout history to be the sacrifice. And God, in this moment, as we pause, as we lift, uh, lift this bread up to you, and ask for blessings upon it as we take it. Help us to remember, to proclaim and acknowledge. But God, remind us too that as we take this bread, we are also, in a, in a way, we are taking blood and putting it over our door frames. We are acknowledging that we will die, but God, we also acknowledge life comes from your son, Jesus. The body that he sacrificed on the cross gives us hope. It gives us everlasting peace and grace that we will always have with us because you are with us. We are yours. So pass over us, Father. Dwell amongst us. Help us, remind us, hear us as we proclaim. Thank you for the love and the peace. Thank you for the cross that Jesus hung on for us. God, thank you for the bread. We give thanks. That's in your son's name we pray. Amen. My heart, my mind, my body, my soul, I give to you. 
Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, she gave it to them and to us, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray for the fruit of the vine. Father God, blood was shed on our behalf. Thank you. Father, we pause again. We remember we thank you, we proclaim life everlasting through this sacrifice that our Lord, our Messiah, shared with us, gave to us. Father, we pause now, we drink of this cup, we give thanks, we acknowledge that life comes from this death. Thank you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Your only Son, no sin to hide, but you have sinned him from your side to walk upon this guilty sod and to become the Lamb of God. O Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God, I love the whole Lamb of God, oh, wash me in his precious blood, my Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Your gift of love they crucified, they laughed and scorned him as he died, a humble king. They named a fraud and sacrificed the Lamb of God. O Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God, I love the holy Lamb of God. Oh, wash me in His precious blood, my Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. I was so lost, 
I should have died. But you have brought me to your side to be led by your staff and rod and to be called the Lamb of God. O Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God, I love the Holy Lamb of God. Oh, wash me in precious blood, my Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. On bended knee I come, with a humble heart I come, bowing down before your holy throne, lifting holy hands to you, as I pledge my love anew, I worship you in spirit, I worship you in truth, make my life a holy praise unto you. On bended knee I come, with a hoken heart I come, bowing down before your holy As I look upon your face, show your mercy and your grace. Change my life, Holy Spirit. Make me fresh and never new. Make my life a holy sacrifice to you. Have you ever, uh, you ever been on Second Street, like at four o'clock in the afternoon? Okay, think about that frustration for a moment. Now we live right off Second Street, west side of Edmond. It's the it's the most direct, best route to get home, and it is infuriating every single day, right? You can be on the right road, and it can still be infuriating, right? Um, Laura, Laura lost a cousin a couple of weeks ago, and um, as, as Michael's accident had happened, uh, Laura, Laura was trying to figure out how to get down to Texas before he passed, and uh, trying to figure out how to get down there, and there's, we, had, we got all these kinds of things, you got schedules, right, Just, we got kids here, this, that, all this going on, and she's like, I don't know if I can go, because we have... Laundry list of things going on. I look at her and said, you have to go. Death is very rarely convenient. And we'll make it work. And I think 
when we acknowledge death, I think one of the reasons, maybe, that we generally tend to be hesitant about it is because it's quite inconvenient for me, isn't it, to die? Like, I mean, I got some, I got some plans, right? I haven't been to a ball game yet this season. You know, there's things I want to do, and it's very inconvenient. And when we think about the, the, the crossroad, one of the things that is quite difficult for us is that when Jesus tells us to deny ourselves, he's telling us that it's going to be quite inconvenient, right? In fact, maybe one of the markers of knowing if we are on the crossroad is by knowing that it's Second Street at 4 o'clock and it's pretty infuriating at times, right? It is inconvenient, but it's the right road. And when we take up our cross, we are not only acknowledging, we are remembering and proclaiming death. And that's quite inconvenient for some of us. It interferes, it changes, it alters, it creates that emotional grief, it, it, all these kinds of things. And yet, in death, God works. But we have to acknowledge it. On the crossroad, we can't hide it, we can't push it, we can't ignore it. On the crossroad, we acknowledge it. Matthew chapter 27, <clears throat> picking up in verse 45. Jesus has been arrested, he has been beaten, he has been nailed to the cross. And from noon until three in the afternoon... Darkness came over all the land. It was about three in the afternoon. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lamai sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar. He put it on his staff and he offered it to Jesus to drink. And the rest said, no, nah, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. The crossroad road, no mistake about it, the crossroad leads to death. And that's okay. That's okay. Jesus died, but I have good news. And we'll have a much happier sermon next week. If you have your Bibles open, actually, there in uh, Matthew chapter 27, scroll down a few more verses. Scroll. Verse 62. Jesus dies. He gives up His Spirit. Death is there. Jesus is buried. He's put in the tomb. It is the final act, the way the world sees this place. He is done, murdered. Crucified. Verse 62. The next day. 
There's another day, a new day, a day of everlasting joy, a day of grace. In death, God does his best work. In death, we find life. Death on the crossroad, good news, there's a next day. Praise be to God. If there's need of any kind, I'm going to make myself available up front during the singing of this last song this morning. One of our shepherds, Mike Marshall, is going to make himself available in the back of the cafeteria here. We are both available uh, during the singing of this song. If, this, if there's anything that this church can do for you, if I, as your minister, if one of our shepherds can pray with you, help you in any way, it's not your only time uh, to respond to God's word, but it's our, it's our first chance to do so. And I want to invite each of us, all of us, to respond to God's word, to know to, to, acknowledge, to, to acknowledge death is before us, but to also acknowledge there is another day. Let's stand together and let's sing.